You're listening to the Todd Rod God Pod, a podcast hosted by Pastor Todd Rodarmel and Drew Tilton, where we explore ideas of faith and what it means to have a sustainable spirituality. So I'm here with Lunia Diaz. Is that how I pronounce your last name? I mean, I always see it, and then I see it, I've seen it spelled wrong a couple times, and so I'm trying. That's not right. Don't <laughs> how worry. do you say your last name? It's Diaz. You said it right. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, with yeah. an S, not a Z. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. it's with an S. Yeah, because this right. is the Portuguese well, side of the house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Lunia, tell us a little bit about your background and where, where you come from and your family of origin, just to kind of get a little context. Um, so we kind of know, because many people will know you from church, from being on stage and singing or from being there to pray with people, but they don't necessarily, you know, know your backstory. Okay. Well, I was born in Jackson, Tennessee in 1958. Um my mom's mother was Caucasian and my grandfather was a black man. My grandfather married the sharecropper's daughter. Um, and they moved to Tennessee from Mississippi. So I grew up in a home with my mom, which was a woman that loved Christ. And my grandparents was what you do. You live close to your grandparents. And so I spent an equal amount of time in both houses. And then my mom later moved to Illinois for schooling purposes. And we moved with her, of course. And that's where my mm. journey started, you know, just with the grandparents and and basically just learning mm. how to, my mom was really good about making sure that we went to worship. In her education, sometimes she had to work long hours. So, um, well, she went to school, but then of course, my mom was a healthcare provider. And so once hmm. she was on call, it was kind of hard, you know. So we would go back and forth to my grandmother's house in the summer months to make it life easier for my mom. But we still had the foundation in both house houses of Christ. But we experienced some stuff long, you know, along the way. Hmm. Yeah. Now, and it, this was you were living mainly then when how old were you when you moved to Chicago? I didn't move to Chicago. I lived I moved to a small town in called Madison, Illinois. And I think okay. I was in the first grade when I moved. I was six. Yeah. Okay. And, so we um, moved there to, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. Go. You, you can continue to tell me the story, go. And so we moved to a really small community uh, in Madison, Illinois. It was a, um, it was like a steel mill community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were separated by railroad tracks. And so the, the white families lived on one side and the black families lived on the other. And within mm-hmm. our community, we had our socioeconomic issues like everybody else. If you made a certain amount of money, you only lived on one, on two streets in the hotel, which is hilarious. But we lived <laughs> on Meridosia, which was one of those streets. And the other one was Market Street. Uh, so, go ahead. So you lived on the the tracks, but there were two um, streets that, you know, if you had a, a higher income that you lived in, in that side of the town. Exactly. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay. Yeah. And so how did that differentiate the, 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 
black side of, of the tracks from the other side, as far as this, what was the divide with the socioeconomic, you know, cause if it was obviously a difference between those, you know, those two streets versus the rest of that area, how did that set, how did that set things apart there? Um, it was different. To- it was different because of, um, well, one, if you lived in the side of Madison that I lived on, it was predominantly black people that lived there. So our opportunities were different, like with the stores. You know, we didn't have the, the grocery stores that they had on the other side of the tracks. We were allowed to go to those grocery stores, but you had to leave town by 5 p.m. every day. Or if, hmm. we, if we needed to purchase things like um, clothing and stuff like that, you could go over there and buy things, but you couldn't stay. Like. It, it was the it was a huge difference between the two. Mm. But we were children and we didn't know the difference, right? You know, it, it was, yeah, and and that mm-hmm. that was legally enforced back then, not just kind of an unwritten rule. That was actually the the law in the town at the time. Absolutely, and it was an if you were on the wrong side of the tracks at the wrong time, you know, something bad would happen to you. You would be beaten or thrown in jail are thrown on the Mm. railroad track, whichever one came first. So as a kid, we knew not to go and, you know, and be in that community late in the evening. We only, I only went Mm. with my mom anyway for grocery shopping, or like I said, if it was school time, she would purchase our clothing. But we, you know, that was just the divide and considered as the normal way of life. Um, I remember asking what's the difference because I didn't know that, I didn't understand racial differences in color of skin because I grew up with, in my grandmother's house and I didn't know what that was. I, as a kid, mm. I think it was confusing actually, and it was stupid. But, yeah, that would be confusing to have people on both sides of your family that are that are white and black and um, and not seeing the difference because you're all in the same family. Right, we were just kids, you know. But the rule yeah. in America, which is still a law. The one drop rule, one drop of blood rule, if you have one drop of black blood in your ancestry, then you're black. Hmm. That's still some official law somewhere? It's an official law in America. Wow. That is how they classify the difference, you know, which is dumb because everybody came from Mesopotamia. Just a little news blurb. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has one drop of black blood. So, anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. So, right, right. So, as kids, you know, we were the little black kids, and they were the little white kids, and we didn't worship together um, in Illinois. And you know, our worship services were our worship services, and our revivals were our revivals. And your grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor in Jackson, Tennessee, until he passed away. Wow. Yeah. And you were you were telling me about a just a um, a pretty pivotal moment in your upbringing, and um, that was related to to something that happened with your uncle and with your grandfather. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Of course. So my grandfather, my well, first is the backdrop of the story, like I told you. My uncle Howard had gone to Vietnam once and then he came back and they sent him again twice. But 
uh, in between one of those goings, he had a confrontation with sheriffs there in the community. And he was speeding in his little 57 Chevy, but he knew the back roads and he outran the police officers. And so they mm -hmm. knew they couldn't go to the house that night. So the next day, those two, those two sheriffs showed up. Uh, they were deputies, actually, but they showed up and said that they were going to take him down and talk to him because of questioning. And my grandfather wouldn't let him go because they didn't have papers to do that. And my grandmother told him basically not going to happen. So they found an attorney because they knew eventually they were going to call him in and give him a ticket, but they didn't want anybody to harm him. And so I was saying uh, he went before the courts. Uh, with Al Gore's uncle. I don't even think Al Gore was born there, but he went with him and um, he, his uncle stood as my as a lawyer in the family for representing the family. And um, he basically, the judge told him, bye, you can't do anything to hurt him, blah, blah, blah. But on the stairwell of the courts, the deputies told him, excuse me what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it, you nigger, we're going to get you. And so time went by and my uncle went back at, into Vietnam and finally he was released from the military, honorable, whatever. And then he was going to go to work about two weeks later after coming home. But we had a family member, well, we had people that were like family to us that lived about a mile from the house. My grandfather was a pastor and a man of God. Uh, his son was a gambler. So my uncle Howard gave his 38 to my grandmother and said, I'm going to go to the Shaw's house and we're going to play. And that means that he was going to shoot dice. That's what they did. Play mm -hmm. cards, shooting dice. And so unbeknownst to my uncle, they had invited him up. My grandmother said about 12 o'clock that day. And he was just used to go in there and gambling and whatever winnings he had, he would bring them back. But this particular day, he didn't come home so quickly because the family had conspired with the with the deputies and the deputies had decided they were going to murder him that day. And so they did. They shot him between the eyes and cut his throat and took him to a mortuary in the local town there where my grandparents lived. And they called my grandparents about my my mom said three hours later and told them that it, their son was dead and they, they would need to come and identify him. And my grandfather thought the hospital and the, and the mortuary gentleman said, no, you have to come to the mortuary because that's where he is. So they went to the mortuary and identified my uncle. And true enough, it was him and my family was just crushed. Mm. And so, you know, we had the funeral and other uncles came and aunts and it was just tragic. It was a tragic thing that happened with him. Wow. But, but no one would, t n there was never a case. There was never a case. Nobody ever looked into it. Nobody ever no said one. what happened, no who murdered him. No one, no one. Word came out later. It was five people there. Interesting enough. Five people have died. And those five that was there, they, they died rather quickly. All of them just died of natural causes. Just young men, they just died. Wow. The deputies didn't, but the men that was behind it, they died. And so 
as I was sharing with you, it must have been about four years later, the man that really, it, he owned the house and that had conspired with the officers. He died. He was an older man, but he died. Mm. And so it was one Sunday after worship service, I'd gone with my grandfather and he preached at his church and uh, hopped in the truck and I asked him, he made a turn and I said, where are we going? And he said, Mr. Shaw has passed away. I said, yes, I know. He said, I'm going to the funeral. And so by then I think I was 13, 14, I'm not sure. But I, mm. I had enough sense to know that if we were going to the funeral, I should sit in the back of the church just in case. Just in case I didn't case know what the family what? was doing. Just in case mm. someone would, became angry because my grandfather decided to come. Mm. You know, he decided to go to this funeral. And so I sat in the back and um, we called him Big Daddy. Big Daddy went to the front and he sat in the um, pulpit. And when they asked someone to come and pray, no one really stood up. And so my grandfather did. Mm. And he stood before them and he told them, first he told them that he was happy that he could pray with them. He said, I'm glad I could pray with you. And then he said, I know that our family has had a division. He said, "We've all, it's almost been 40 years of our friendship here. He said, but my son was murdered at Mr. Shaw's house four years ago. And he said, um, but I came here today for two reasons. One, to pray, pray with you. And the other one, to tell you that I forgive you for murdering my son. And he said, I'm not bitter with you and I'm not angry with you. And if you need something from me, I will still give it to you. And so then he um, prayed for the family. Uh, he prayed for their, those that weren't saved for their salvation. And he prayed and asked God to bring them much peace. And he sat down and, you know, the funeral was over and I got in the truck with him and I said, Big Daddy, how could you pray for those people that murdered Uncle Howard? And he said, I can pray for, I prayed for them because Christ loved us and he died for us. And we must forgive. He said, we must forgive unconditional forgiveness for everybody. I don't care what they do to you in your life, you forgive. And that was a turning point for me. Forgiveness came easy for me that day because I knew what my grandfather was saying was the truth because I read it myself in the Bible, but I saw it in action and it changed my life, Pastor Todd. It gave me a different perspective about people and what they do. Now there, there are a lot of people I think that would, would well, our, I think all of our human nature struggles against that because that's a very unnatural thing to do, to forgive right. uh, people when they hurt you that way. Obviously, it's a very Jesus thing. You know, he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, wow. How, how, when you say forgiveness became easy for you that day does that mean that you're just that it still comes easy all the time or is that is it a struggle is there a choice how do you how do you walk that out i mean that's a pretty extreme example 
Um, but how have you had to walk that out in your own experience um, with people that have wronged you? It's been easy. For me, it was easy because one, like I, you know, like I said earlier, I saw it in action, but the Holy Spirit really, really allowed me to understand the power of forgiveness. I didn't realize it as a young kid, but I know, you know, I've read enough about what Christ has done for us. And I know that we have to forgive one another. So it's not hard for me to line up with obedience with a lot of things. Some things I might go, yeah, no, nah, I don't know about that, but it wasn't hard for me. And so in my life, it's made a, it's helped me to move forward. Um, when I divorced my um, husband, mm -hmm. I was disappointed that he didn't help me raise my son. I was disappointed that he didn't come back and be a father. When I say come back, I mean visitation. I was very disappointed, mm. but I was never mad at him or hateful toward him. And I did not raise Joel that way because I know that unforgiveness will destroy you. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about unforgiveness for little things that builds up to bigger things. And then unforgiveness for big things can be just crippling. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of what we're feeling in the backlash of just the anger and the frustration is a, a lot of pain for a long period of time. And I think some, some yes. people will hear this, uh, a call like that to forgiveness to say, well, that's like excusing something or saying it doesn't matter. Um, you're not saying that, are you? No, I'm not. It does matter when someone speaks harsh words to you. It does hurt you to the core. It does matter. It makes a world of difference. I mean, the first thing that one would think or I think is, what have I done to make you talk to me that way? You don't know me. So yes, it hurts and yes, it matters. And even if you do know me, it still hurts. You know, I'm it's like Gumby the character, the little green guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not Gumby. I can't stretch mm -hmm. because I'm human. So I'm not saying just push it under the rug. They did that to you. What I'm saying is forgive because the bitterness is not worth the journey. Mm -hmm. You have to care. We carry enough in life, Pastor mm -hmm. Todd. Putting on a shoe of unforgiveness every day, man, that is that is ridiculous. I can't do it. Now, maybe for somebody else, but for me, I can't put on that shoe every morning and don't forget for unforgiveness. You got to carry it with you. Mm. No, I can't. And I have to trust God when he says vengeance is mine. But does it hurt sometime what people say? You betcha. Mm -hmm. It does. Mm. I can't let it enter my heart. I cannot. I won't survive if I do. So, so what, other, I mean, as you've, you know, obviously there's a lot of growing up that happens between that point in your life and now, and, and we don't have a time to talk about your whole life story, obviously, but maybe another time, but, but it's, it's some way in this, I'd love to hear ways that you've been able to walk that out with people on a practical level. Um, 
Hmm. Well, my job is kind of demanding, you know, what I do in the medical field. And um, there are people that say things to me that are bad, that are horrible, at least once a week. Really? Still now, like people here in Orange County still say stuff to you here in Orange that's County. racist or hurtful? Oh, yeah. yeah, this past Monday, um, <laughs> I was checking a man's temperature when I walked up to the door because we have to wear PPEs to protect us and to protect, we're protecting them. They just don't know it, but we want them to protect us too. But, and he, when he saw me, he, before saying good morning, he said, well, you look like you're ready to fight the Civil War. And I thought that's the Civil War. Could he have chosen another one? Wow. You know, to myself. But or another patient that came in this week that told me, you know, they said black people's minds are the size of a walnut. That's what studies say. This, this person or said that you to have, you this week? They This week. Or... This is a better one. Do you have the credentials to do what you're doing to me right now? Because if you don't, I want you to leave the room and bring someone else in. Mm. Fortunately for them, I'm the only one that had the credentials. Wow. And so I told them, I'm the only one that's credentialed, but we can give you, we can give you a referral and you can go somewhere else. Well, you have gloves on, you can touch me with those. That's what I deal with. Wow, Lania. Like, that just seems like, like, I believe that if you, you know, I mean, I believe you, I, but I, that I would expect that maybe at some other time, some other place. But man, right here, yeah. right now, that still goes on. Right now in Orange County, I had a lady say, can I just touch your hair or let me touch your skin or, you know, I just. I'm amazed at what people say, Pastor Todd. I, you know, I lived there on Doheny Place for a long time in Capo Beach, and there are many Saturday mornings when I would go walking, and people would stop me and ask me, why was I walking down Camino Cap? Why are you walking down the street? <laughs> I live here. <laughs> wow. And so at that moment... Either if you're a person that just becomes bitter and angry and why, do you, why are you asking me that question? I don't do that. I decide within me. I'm now, I, I refuse to address their ignorance because that's ignorance and it's rude. Mm -hmm. So you can either join the party with the crazy people or not. I choose not to. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so help me as a, as a white guy that has never had to deal with this. And because I, it, it seems like something, you know, when I hear racism, it seems like something, like I say, far away, or that's in the South or that's something else, um, or that's a previous generation. Uh, but man, um, uh, that that's where I, I, I keep you know hearing people say, "Well, we're, we're not making it up. It's happening, and it's happening again and again and again, and it's not going away." And even though we've made progress in a lot of places in this country, we haven't fully gotten rid of those things, and not even close. And so, how how can you help us? As probably most of the listeners to this podcast are people that are white and that are Christians, and you know, 
like me want to do the right thing, want to help and be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Uh, what, what can we do? How can we help other than being outraged by it or upset about it or to just notice and wh what can we do? I feel if, if it's acknowledged, if it's acknowledged, you know, among the body, I, you know, I think I told you when we were speaking the other day, I mentioned this personally on the inside of me, I, I know that this is a horrible thing that's been happening over and over again. And I, I was, I was reading about the guy at the NFL yesterday who said we apologize to the guy that kept bowing the knee that I have a hard time pronouncing his name, but I oh, yeah. totally Colin respect Kevin. him again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, he bowed the knee and the whole nation went into an uproar, including those in the body of Christ that are football, you know, people. Mm -hmm. And so they were just having a cow. Some of my friends, well, I don't agree with that. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, the whole nation has lost his mind because the man bowed his knee and saying, we're not equal. Are you blind? That was my thought. Mm -hmm. But then when a man has his knee on a man's neck, it's just another incident in the black community. Mm. Not cool. Yeah. The body just needs to, we need to acknowledge, my white brothers and sisters need to acknowledge this happens and is happening. Mm. How do we know? Because we're separated on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. We are not worshiping together like we should. Mm. I believe personally, this is a wake up call for the body of Christ. The world does crazy, but we're not supposed to. We really are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Once again, if my foot hurts, your foot hurts. Mm -hmm. If your toe hurts, my toe hurts. We embrace each other. And a lot of the things that black people experience is just generational stuff that's been passed down. I'm gonna be real honest with you. But how does things become ingrained in a child when you're teaching them? You keep saying one plus one is two. One plus one is two. And the little guy, a little girl gets it, right? Mm -hmm. If you continue to read the story from one generation to the next, you get it. It's ingrained. Mm -hmm. It needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Across the board, it needs to stop. It just, you, we can't sing that way because that's not what we're accustomed to. Get out of here with that. We're all worshiping God together. We worship this way. They worship that way. Just become, I think what I'm trying to say is, let's come together and love each other. And listen, if somebody says to you, you know, you dress that way because, no, maybe they have a backdrop story to it. Mm -hmm. And just listen. Mm -hmm. Both sides. Just start listening to each other and loving each other unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Without a fault, we're not perfect, we're human. That's what I would say to anyone that's not black today. Listen and love like crazy, mm -hmm. like it really is your brother or your sister. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my answer to it, Pastor Todd. Is it hard? It's not hard to love people and be unforgiving because I'm gonna treat you the way I want you to treat mm -hmm. me with respect and dignity. That's what I'm gonna give you every time. 
even if you do tell me that I look different. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Thank you, Lunia. Um, what about what about the bigger societal issues? I mean, for sure, in the church, we can listen to each other and love each other. How can we advocate better as just as white people, whatever political party we're a part of or whatever part of the system we're a part of, how can we just better stand with and not deepen the divide? You mentioned the Colin, Colin Kaepernick, you know, protests and just yeah. the split that's happened over that. And I think people go straight to these defenses and straight to whatever their particular version of, you know, the news channel says and, you know, the, the rhetoric. Are there ways that we can just listen better in society um, and just participate in helping make things different. Are you asking that question from a black perspective and a, and a white perspective or just society as a whole? Well, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. You answer it however you want. I, I, I think I'm a white guy and you're a black woman and I'm asking you, for your perspective and whether that is your perspective because you're black or your perspective because you're you, <laughs> I'd like to just hear from you. Well, you know, <laughs> for me, my perspective is, you know, I am a black woman um, with many, many strands of different DNA here, but um, Pastor Todd, I believe that education, when you don't understand, go read about it, society. And, and never, ever allow political thoughts to cloud your vision of how you treat people. Mm -hmm. Should never cloud your vision, mm -hmm. ever, mm -hmm. ever. Just because the political leader believes this, well, you voted for him or maybe you didn't, but that individual should not have the power to cloud your thought process and how you treat people. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that mm -hmm. way. Otherwise, you're just a puppet on a string, and we're not. We have great minds. Whether we use them or not, nah, that's another story. But we have great minds, and we have this great thing that the rest of the world, the earth, doesn't have. We can choose. Mm. I would say to society, choose to do better. Choose to treat people with the same respect. And if you need a rule of thumb, how would you treat your grandparents? Sometimes people struggle with their parents, but the grandparents, <laughs> how would you treat right. them? <laughs> yeah, grandparents kind of make up the difference with parents' stupidity, I've learned. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that's my yeah. thought, okay? But treat people like you would treat your grandmother or your grandfather or your favorite aunt or your uncle. Mm -hmm. Treat people like they're a person, society. And if once again, if they're protesting, find out why. And do all lives matter? You betcha. But guess who's on the stage today? Mm -hmm. The black mm -hmm. lives. But if next week, if it's the Irish lives, let's stand with mm -hmm. them. And stand mm -hmm. tall. This is my brother. I'm not going to, my sister died. will not let you treat them that mm -hmm. way. That's what we need. I mean, if I could say anything and stand from a mountaintop and everyone would hear me. Hello, people. Treat people with dignity society and if their road has been harder than yours 
go back and try to pick them up and encourage them. Mm. Because encouragement can change the world. Mm. Hope changes the world. Mm. If the if your side of the street is looking weird, go move over on the other side. I bet you you'll see a difference. Mm -hmm. Change. You have to want to change. Mm -hmm. And as we listen to each other over the next few weeks, because I hope the protesting does not stop. I hope it does not mm -hmm. die. Not the looting, not the craziness and destroying. I hope the protests keep going until people will see that we need change. Mm -hmm. Until the body of Christ can stand and say, I really do love mm -hmm. you. And when the walls come down on Sunday mornings and you're welcome in my house of worship and I'm welcome in yours. Which, by the way, Pastor Todd, just as a just as a thing, when when I would visit my grandfather in the summer months, in the fall, they had revivals, you know, during certain times of the year. And I, my grandfather was pretty respected among white people in the community. And so when he would have revival at his church, the white people knew the rule was you couldn't come in. And so what they would do is open the windows and they would, the church would open all the windows because we didn't have an air conditioner anyway, but we would open the windows. And we all sang the same hymns. And so the white people would be out in their yard chairs. You know, you bring your lawn chair with you and sit out in the front mm -hmm. of the church. And they would be worshiping with us. <laughs> you could hear them. And we would do the same thing. When they had their revivals, we would go and sit outside and we would worship with hmm. them. And so it was only one time a year that you could be baptized in this muddy little dirty creek. And because the rule said white people couldn't be in the creek at the same time as the black people, we were on two separate banks. And the white people would get baptized in this dirty, filthy water before we did. And we would sing songs, take me to the water, the blood of Jesus from our side of the bank. We did that. <laughs> they figured out a way to make it work. <laughs> wow. That's what we need to do in America in the body. But in as society, we are humans. Mm. Make a difference. Listen to your neighbor mm. and love them like you're loving your grandparents or a family mm. member. It's easy. If it's hard, it'll get easier because when you're hugging, you're seeing that person you love the most. Mm. That's my that's my choice. And I would just like to invite other people mm -hmm. to join me in my choice. Mm. Love without a condition. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> Thank you, Linnea. I I love I you're I welcome. love I love the simplicity of that. And I, I know, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing we know and the same Bible we've been, we've had this whole time. It's not like, you know, this is some new idea to love people and to respect them and to listen to them. Um, but, right. but it is, uh, it is affirming that it's the same, that, that it's important. But I, I just want to say, um, I, I hear, and I appreciate you saying, what you said about the things people say to you and how just hurtful and stupid and just ingrained yeah. that racism is in so many conversations that people don't even realize. And um, I, I appreciate you bringing it to our attention. Are, are there other things that maybe like, while I've got you here, I can ask you along those lines, 
are there other things that people say that they may not even realize are hurtful or stupid that they, you know, that some of our listeners might appreciate being corrected in this anonymous thing where you don't have to walk up to their face and tell them how stupid they are. <laughs> that, they, that they can hear it right well, here. That's good. We have a little bit of anonymity. You know what I would like? That's a good, that's a good question, Pastor Todd. I would like for my white sisters, when I express how I feel, that when they share it with their white sisters, that I hear them not try to, I may say, oh, girl, that's so nice. And they'll turn around and say, girl, that's so nice. Lose it. That's not how I mm. said it. It's, it's like, what are you trying to do? You're what? What are you doing? Is that what you heard? Don't try to put a slain on it. Just you know, just I said, girl, that is nice, and you come back with something different. I hate mm. that. I, I and I, sometimes I'll go home and record myself and say, did I sound mm. like that? I hate it. Mm. That's just stupid. Yeah. It. That's about it, Pastor Todd. The rest of it, hmm. you know. That's my quirk. <laughs> it's just my teeny little quirk. But, but yeah. you know, I, I won't stop talking to you and hugging you about it. It's yeah. Just no, dumb. but it is. It it, it yeah. I appreciate you saying it because it it can be hurtful. I, I remember like when I was um I, I I tend to pick up accents wherever I go. In fact, when I moved to California from New Jersey, I was trying to get rid of my accent. And so I talked like what I thought people talked like in California, which was out West. Cause I watched all these, you know, uh, Western <laughs> movies. And I thought about out West, if we're moving out West and I got to talk like that, like a, like I was from Texas or something. Oh and so I came up and people go, you have a weird accent. Where are you from? And I'm like, New Jersey. And they're like, really? It doesn't sound like that kind of an accent, but I, but I was talking like what I thought I needed to talk like when I'm, when I lived here. And then I found myself in other contexts, you know, picking up accents from people that I I'm hanging around and it's like, but right. I see how that can be so offensive. It feels like you're reading into it an accent that isn't even there or putting a stereotype on a, 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 right. a lilt of the voice or a, a particular inflection of the tone that makes it, um, yeah, you don't, you don't need to talk that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and even if somebody does talk with a different, um, you know, diction, we, we can all be ourselves. And that's part of the beauty in, in being ourselves and being who we are and talking to each other and accepting each other for who we are. We don't have to be blind to people's, color or deaf to people's tone of voice or the way that they express themselves, but it doesn't mean that we have to, um, that we have to either, you know, either copy it or reject it. We just let right. people be themselves and right. we be ourselves. <laughs> exactly. That, listen, that covers the multitude. It really does. I, yeah, that's, but it, it's not a lot that, really rocks my world i won't well it. you obviously refuse, refuse to and you've had that attitude of forgiveness from the beginning but while we're on the subject is there any more let's just get it out in the open <laughs> um <laughs> oh man no you know no but well yes just because i'm going to talk about myself 
I'm not very forthcoming with chatting with people or going to dinner with them primarily because of my crazy food issues. But um, but just because I'm not friendly doesn't, you know, I'm not in the face of, okay, I want to join that group, join this group, be that group. But, and this is talking to the Mountain View family. Just because I haven't become a part of the group, it doesn't mean that I don't love the group. Mm. It just means that don't, please don't feel like I've stood back and and I'm not spoken with you because of you're so hurt and you're so damaged. Don't don't put me in that category. Mm. It's because I really mm -hmm. am an introvert. It's not because I don't want to be around you. I just want to say that to the women at the church. I know I haven't been a mm. part of a lot of groups. And, it, and so I'd like for you to look next time and say, you know what? She's mm -hmm. kind of to herself. I do great one-on-one, -on -one, but not so great right. with a big group. So I, I want to see that to the Mountain View group, you know, to my yeah. sisters there. It's not because I ignore you. It's because I'm not so big on groups, but I'm really big on mm. being a good friend. That's good. You know, it's it's interesting, Linnea. I've, I've found um, in a lot of ways in the church, introverts are, um, you know, people people have pre the, the system. You know, if we talk about systemic prejudice, the system of how church works is prejudiced yeah. against introverts yeah. in a lot of ways because, you know, we do groups, we we prize speaking up, we prize, you know, large gatherings. And sometimes the person that's quieter can get lost in the shuffle of that. And I think it, it relates a lot to, to how systemic injustices, you know, it's not that they're necessarily anybody's trying to be unjust in anything. It's sometimes it is some, sometimes those things right. are built into the system and we've seen that in America, but at the same time, some yeah. of it is like, there are, there are personality reasons why we do things differently that don't necessarily have to do with race. They just have to do with personality. And sometimes we can carry those over on oh, yeah. whole groups of people or different social settings can just set things up to be advantaging to one type of a person or another type of a person. You know, our school system is set up really exactly. well to advantage uh, pe people that like to study and read books and write papers and, you know, take tests, but it doesn't always advantage other types of learners or people that do things differently. And I think the key thing, yeah, that exactly. key is like, we've got to pay attention to each other and hear each other and, you know, make those allowances yeah. for each other. And those that are advantaged by the way the system is can use their voice, their privilege, their opportunity to look out for their other brothers and sisters that are disadvantaged by the system. Absolutely. And I think for me, that's what I see happening. That was a perfect example. That is what's happening in the nation. If you have the advantage and you can help your brother and sister who does not, then step mm -hmm. up and do your job. God allowed you to have the advantage mm -hmm. at this time. And it's your responsibility because to whom much is given, much is required. It's your responsibility now to step up and help those that haven't had that opportunity. Speak on their behalf. Stand mm -hmm. with them. I, 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 I totally agree with you, Pastor Todd. It may not have started out that what you were saying wasn't in response to what I said, but I I could grab hold to that and say, if you have an ability to do something that someone else doesn't, step into the place mm. and do that. Yeah. Unashamedly. 
everybody requires help. I avoid mm-hmm. do we ever. Mm-hmm. Everyone at some time yeah. needs help. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lunia. Thank you for helping me today to see more and, you know, to just fill in some of the blind spots, you know, like we, we just all have blind spots because we only see through our own eyes own experiences. That's and we, right. that's why we need each other and we need to, to learn from each other. And uh, obviously we need to read widely and, and read and learn that way. And that's important. Um, and I hope people are yeah. gonna, uh, more yeah. than anything else. And I think hopefully this puts people on a journey of learning more about some of the ways that racism yeah. has not only been in our history, but the ways that it's continued into the present in both personal interactions and in just the ways it's built into systems that continue to perpetuate some of the same kind of kind of problems. And um, so, right. yeah, so hopefully people are going to get educated that way, but hopefully we can also listen to each other and fill in more and more of our blind spots, which will never, never be completely filled in until we see face to face. Like, you know, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, this great chapter about love and how yeah. if we don't love, we're nothing. Um, but, it, but it says, you know, we, we see right. in the mirror dimly, you know. We yes. know in part, we prophesy in part, yes. but one day we'll see face to face. And until then, we got faith, hope, and love. And none of those is certainty, but yeah. none of those is knowing all the answers. But they're trusting the one who does, having hope that he's going to continue to work it out and we're going to work with them and love to love each other in the meantime, like you were advocating. So. You know, Pastor Todd, I want to say something that one of the uh, joys of dreaming prophetically, Mm -hmm. the way I dream is that I get a chance to look at other people in the dream Mm -hmm. and see what they're doing. It, it's amazing. I'll be, you know, I'll dream and I can I can see where you're standing, what you're doing, and what's going on around you hmm. in a dream. And that's how, that's how God has allowed me to see. And I'm grateful for that, but I realize that I take it from the dreams and then when I'm interacting with people on a daily basis, I can see everything wow. at a glance. Well, and if we can learn to just see things at a glance, it's enlightening to your mind what's really going mm. on around you that's that's so important which is the same as i'm going to love you because you're hurting i just have the gift of being able to see the whole scenario in one mm. glance i'm sure that's helped me along the way but that's another story yeah no i'd love to talk more about that sometime <laughs> but is there something as you're seeing you know any any dreams that you've had that are about I mean, obviously it's weighed on all of our hearts, this whole situation with George Floyd, with the policeman, and it's obviously connected to your history with your uncle. But is there anything that you're seeing in the world, the church, that at this moment that you just want to share with us? The Lord has been saying to me for months, and I didn't understand it. Change is coming. So I, w- I would hear it. I would be working and just mining, doing my own thing. And the Holy Spirit would come and whisper to me, change is coming. I said, God, I don't understand what this means. And it was about January when I said to Pastor Ryan, I'm going to step down from the praise team for a while. And the Lord just pulled me into a place of just said, I need you to rest. 
because change is coming. I did not know COVID-19 would be such a horrible thing that's happened in our nation. But I still am hearing there is something else coming beyond that. And I said it to some friends a few weeks ago. There's something else coming, guys. I, I don't know what it is, but there's something else coming. And the Holy Spirit kept telling me it's coming. But after this, there's going to be a peace. And then, boom, here comes this, like out of nowhere in the middle mm. of a pandemic. Here comes, what, marching? What, protesting? But I believe that on the other side of this, mm. peace is coming. That is exactly what I heard for months. Hmm. Change is coming. And here we are. And so we're at a, that's why I feel like it's so pivotal for the body. And, you know, even when I was walking the other day, I said, Lord, what, what do you want us to do in the body of Christ? And I believe it's time for us hmm. to love each other. And peace will come. The world may not get it, but the saints of God ought to be hmm. excited about it. Wow. Well, Linnea, would you would you pray yeah. for us and, you know, pray however the Lord leads you to pray just to kind of close out this time? Of course. Father, we thank you for this for this moment. For this moment that you've allowed us to live in this time in this season that you have planted our feet in the earth. We thank you. We we acknowledge who you are. You're a covenant keeping God. And you're good to us. And we love you. We acknowledge Jesus that you're our savior and you're our deliverer. And we acknowledge Holy Spirit that you're our comforter and you're our healer. So today, Lord, I ask that you would move in the midst. The people that listen to this podcast, I ask that you would supernaturally transform and change their hearts today. So that none of us will be the same. I ask that you would change the heart of the nation within the body of Christ because you look at a church and then you look at a city. We want to make the difference in our city and in our nation. So change our hearts, God, and line us up with one another and cause us to hold hands and embrace each other for your children, for your children, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, cover us guide us and direct us and forgive us for our sin and heal the land. We have sinned against you and against others and we need you and we acknowledge it and we lay everything down and we ask for your changes and we ask for your way. We ask that you tear down every wall, every wall, every single wall of division destroy it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let us walk in unity. We thank you for the honor and the privilege of serving you. We know what your word says about the end times and that heart, that many will wax cold. Love will wax cold. But within your body, we ask that you would pour out your love again and that you would trust us because many have to come into the kingdom. And if we are not looking the way we should, they will not want to come. Mm -hmm. I thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for this moment that you would allow me to share my story and history. Now, Lord, I ask that you would bless Mr. Todd and his house and strengthen them and Mountain View Church, put a hedge of protection around us. 
We still have an adversary that we're fighting in the spirit and in the natural. So cover us with the blood of Christ concerning COVID-19 and keep our feet planted at Mountain View Church and direct our path. We thank you for what you're doing, Father. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Wow. Sorry for the Thank you so prayer. much, Lydia. <laughs> no, I could take you praying all day long, <laughs> and I appreciate it. We're going to actually be doing a prayer. Um, we're going to have some prayer things coming up. I think Monday we're going to try to do a day of prayer and fasting from Sunday night until Monday. And, um, yeah, and we'll try to find ways to make it online as well as in person because i think some people are going to be able to gather in person and others will join us online that's awesome then we're going to join with some other churches awesome. other churches and that all over orange county on uh wednesday um online um and so we'll be sending out information about that as well that is awesome pastor uh ryan told me about prayer in the sanctuary on um monday night and I mm, told him, yeah. because I work with people every day who don't follow the rules, I don't think it's right for me to bring sickness to the, to the camp. <laughs> right. So I right. told yeah, him I would, I would come and sit in the parking lot and just agree with prayer. I said, I want to. Yeah, well, that works yeah, too. Yeah, I told him, I'll do that, Pastor Ryan. He said, okay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Lunia. You're welcome. And uh, God bless you. Have a good rest of your Saturday. And, thank uh, you. Thank you very thank much you. For, for your God time. God bless. All right. Bye. God bless you.